Good evening, everybody. They turn up the sound, so I got to lower my voice. Good to see everybody here tonight. Tonight we will have three songs, and then Jeremy will have our reading and prayer. One more song, and then we'll have our lesson. Our first song tonight is on the overhead only. It's 10,000 Reasons. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. song this evening is how deep the father's love how deep the father's love
Our song before our uh, reading and prayer is a mansion, robe, and crown. Mansion, robe, and crown. After this, Jeremy will have our reading and prayer. I'm going to trade my earthly home for a better one, right and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. How joyous in that land where tears of sorrow can be found. And I'll see my mansion, mansion, robe, robe, and crown. Lord, I want a brand new mansion, robe, and a crown in glory. I hate leading Sunday nights after Sai leads Sunday nights because he steals all my songs. I got January. Now, there's one I can't lead. Actually, two of those I had picked out already, but. <sighs> Thanks. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we are so thankful for um, just for your presence, for all that you give us. Uh, each day, Father, we have much to be thankful for. Uh, today, especially, Father, for another opportunity to assemble those that we love, uh, those who have a, a common faith. Uh, we're thankful, Father, for the freedom and the opportunities that we have to, to meet together to worship. We're thankful, Father, for your son, uh, the reason that we meet together to worship, uh, to remember him and his sacrifice and his death. We're thankful, Father, for your love for us um, and all that we have um, through that sacrifice. We ask, Father, you guide our service this evening might be pleasing to you. May we each be uplifted by being here. Help us to take something into our lives that we can uh, 
give you better examples for you. Watch over the many fathers who are struggling, who are sick, uh, many fathers who are physically sick, many struggling emotionally. Um, there's so much uh, grief and depression centered around these, this holiday season, Father, and we pray that you would strengthen those who, who need your helping hand right now. Help us to do what we can, Father, to reach them and to make their day a little better, better and brighter. Continue to guide us in all that we do, Father. Continue to uh, watch over each, is, uh, each of us as we, as we do your will, Father. Continue to be a presence in our life and continue to bless us. Um, again, we thank you for your son. We ask for your forgiveness, and we ask for your strength to be better each day. We pray in his name. Amen. Scripture reading tonight is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our song of invitation this evening is number 989, You Are My All in All. Our song before the lesson this evening is number 213, He Gave Me a Song. If you would let stand for this song, please. He Gave Me a Song. He took my burdens away, I will ride Thank you. 
Do you really, do you really believe the words we read, Jeremy read for us tonight from 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17? And all scripture is breathed out by God. I, every single word, every comma, every one of them is theonostos. It's breathed out by God. Do, do we really believe that? Because if we do believe that, then even the genealogies are necessary. Even, even the genealogies, even the history portions that, that we might consider a bit, a bit tedious, maybe a bit boring, even those are important. There's gems to be mined even there. Because if we really believe what he says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, that all scriptures God breathed, then every word, even the ones that might make you yawn a bit as you read through Leviticus, or maybe some of the, uh, uh, the, the, the instruments in the tabernacle and, and the, the, all those, those tedious bits that we struggle with. You're going to get to Leviticus in a couple of months, right? And you're going to think, what's here? How can I mine this, this bit of Scripture? How can I get the gems out of here? Well, tonight, that's going to be a little bit of what we talk about. We're going to give you some tips and tricks for how to mine sometimes maybe the more tedious bits of Scripture. So there's a couple of different ways that you can do this, right? Uh, the first one, maybe we can think about it as travel light and fast. Uh, if you've ever flown in an airplane, this is kind of what we're thinking of, traveling light and fast. Uh, you, you read through the entire Bible, or maybe you read through the, an entire book of the Bible, but you're reading it as a novel. It is a story. In fact, it is the most fantastic, awesome, wild story that you've ever read. Uh, encased in this book is the most fantastic story ever told. I believe that. I've always thought that it is very close to sin to make this book boring. This is the most interesting, most captivating book you will ever read if you read it right. The problem is sometimes we read it wrong. We, we make it boring. It is breathtaking. It's captivating. You ought to stay up late at night and get to read it uh, and enjoy reading it. There shouldn't be any yawning. You ought to wake up early in the morning and think, oh, I'm, I'm going to read through and mine this little section of Scripture today. And it's going to get me through till tonight when I can read it again. That, that's the power that Scripture ought to have for us. That's the, the amount that it ought to captivate us. But one way that you can read through Scripture is to travel light and fast. You kind of get... Uh, a bird's eye view uh, uh, from, of uh, the Bible from 30,000 feet, I guess you could say. Um, and so you're reading through the entire Bible, maybe. We do that, right? You, you've probably got a goal this year to read through a book or a section or, or maybe the whole Bible in a year, right? Maybe it's the New Testament, maybe it's just the Old Testament, but, but you're looking for the story and you're trying to cover maybe a lot of ground. And you're looking for the stories that are encased in that one section of Scripture or the whole Bible. But you're really looking at the overarching story of Scripture. Because it is a story, right? This is 
a viable way to study Scripture, especially when you're young, especially when you're young in the faith. Uh, I think that this is a, a good way to study Scripture. But I don't think it can be, and I don't think it should be, your only way of studying Scripture. Um, if you've ever flown over the Grand Canyon, would you say you visited the Grand Canyon? I flew over L.A. one time. I know all about L.A. now. You, you ask me any question, I've got it, right? I've visited L.A. because I flew over it. I saw it, right? You can see the lights of, uh, from, LA, of, uh, from L.A. like 30 minutes or an hour away from the airport. I know all about it. No, I don't know anything about it, right? That's literally all I know about it because I've only flown into L.A., I've never walked the streets. I've never talked to its people. I don't know its buildings. I don't know these things because I've never actually been there. I've flown over it. I've gotten a bird's eye view of it. And so I can talk about it a little bit. But I've never actually visited this place. And so my knowledge of it is very superficial. Sometimes our knowledge of Scripture is very superficial. Because this is the way we like to read it traveling light and fast. We get a bird's eye view of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good and necessary. You need to understand that Scripture is a story. And in fact, you need to understand the overarching story of Scripture, right? And how each little bit fits into it. But you're never going to figure out how each and every little bit fits into it if you never see the overarching story of Scripture. You need to see that arc. And this is one of the ways, I think the only way, to see that arc is, is to read it in its entirety like you would a novel and just keep coming back to it. I'm not saying don't do this. I'm saying do this plus something else. Um, so you can and should travel light and fast as you read through Scripture. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible through in a year. Don't make it your only way of studying. That would make you very anemic. That, that would make uh, you, you wouldn't get all the nutrients you needed. If you all you the only way you studied was traveling light and fast, you need more than just reading through five chapters a day. You need to be able to mine some of these truths. You need to teach your brain how to function at this capacity, at this level. Um, often we struggle to think at that level. Um, Social media has uh, trained us, and that's the right word, it's trained us to think in 60-character blips, you know? Um, if, if something's a longer post, you don't read it, do you? I, I, I don't, often, you know? Um, so it, it's trained us to think in these little bitty bite-sized characters. In fact, there's even, uh, I saw, on, ironically, I suppose, on social media last night uh, that you can do micro-learning. And, and instead of scrolling through Facebook, you do micro-learning where you read a, a small tidbit of a book and you do that as you would scroll through Facebook. Um, interesting concept, I suppose, but I want to train my brain to be able to sit with difficult concepts for extended periods of time. Because that's the only way to mine Scripture. Remember when you were in high school and uh, your teacher caught you snoozing on your book? And they would say, Wait, what was the old line, right? You don't learn by osmosis. Like you're not going to soak it up because it touches you. You have to spend time with any kind of material. 
Uh, if you're going to college, if you're learning a new trade, if, if you're learning something new, whatever that something new is, you have to spend time with that thing, with that text. The Bible is certainly no different. In fact, it is uh, true in, in infinitely um, above every other textbook. You need to spend time with this book to be able to learn it well. So traveling light and fast is a good way to do that. But it can't be the only way we do this. It can't be our only mode of study. It's a good thing to do. Read through the Bible in a year. Blow through a book in a week. Read Luke in a day. You know, these are, these are good things to do. But come back and spend hours, days, weeks, months, and even years in one book or one chapter. This is, this is necessary. And so that, that may be, if we can term it, called traveling slow and digging deep. We want to go a little bit slower. Uh, traveling light and fast as we study through Scripture is good, but it can't be it. And this, when you add in this component to your Bible study, it will make your Bible study riveting. The Bible is full of amazing stories, Right? And you can name those off just as easily as I can. Because we do them at VBS, and we talk about them often, right? Jonah and the giant fish, right? Daniel and the lion's den, right? Noah and the ark. Like, just, they roll off your tongue. And you could spend the next 30 minutes just rattling off these stories that are fantastic, incredible stories of people that had this immeasurable faith, people that we can and should look up to, people that God holds up as examples for us and say, be like them. Hebrews 11 is, is all about that, right? But in between those incredible stories, sometimes you'll find a genealogy or a travel pattern where this person went here, and then they went here, and then they went here. And then they talked to this person, and this is what they said. And you might, if you're expecting flood-level um, interest, world-changing interest, you might find those bits tedious, because we don't know how to study them. Well, maybe we don't know how to study them, but we're going to talk about how you dig deep. How can you make your Bible study the best it can be? I found this book very helpful. It's How to Study how to with the Boring Parts of the Bible by Philip Rosenblum. Um, if you've never read it, I'd suggest picking up a copy. He's funny, um, and he has a lot of really very good suggestions, but it's How to Enjoy the Boring Parts of the Bible. Um, some of the stuff that he is uh, talking about I pulled for this lesson. So how do we, how do we travel slow and dig deep? Well, we've got to look for some things that are out of place. You've probably heard me say this before. Um, you've got to look for some things that are, that are out of place. Flip over. Uh, yeah, I've got it for you here. Um, to Numbers chapter 4, 1 through 6. This is what you might consider one of the boring parts of scripture. This guy, uh, Philip Rosenblum, in his book here, calls Numbers chapter 7 the most boring chapter of the Bible. He makes a pretty good case for it. Um, but Numbers chapter 4, uh, he comes into this, this bit that you're going to 
You might yawn a bit. This is a bit tedious. Um, so, so hang with me. But I just want to show you that from this tedious bit of Scripture, you can find and should find incredible truths. So Numbers chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take the census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi, by their clans and their fathers' houses, from 30 years old up to 50 years old, all who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy things. When the camp is set out, Aaron and his son shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Everybody with me? Anybody yawning yet? Like this is stuff that doesn't affect us, right? Because it's the tabernacle stuff. So when the tabernacle was... Okay, back up. So Israel is on the move during this 40 years of wilderness wandering all the way up till David. Really all the way up until Solomon. They use the tabernacle. So they regularly have to break this thing down. And it's not small. And there's not just a few things in it. This thing's big and it's packed with the instruments that God would have to be put in it. Um, so they have to break it down. And he's telling you whose job it is to break these things down and who's going to carry them. Not all that interesting, right? You're going to read it in a couple of months as you go through numbers. And I want you to remember this section. Now you're like, Ooh, now we really are getting into some tedious stuff. Check out what he says here, though. I think I'm going to read it just to show you how tedious this section is. And then I'm going to hopefully bring out an interesting point that you can, you can gnaw on for a little bit. I don't know that I have the answer here. Okay, verse 6, he says, Then they shall put it on a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put in its poles. So again, he's talking about the, the things, the instruments that go into the tabernacle. What are you going to do with them? So one of the ways that you, look, that, that you get the most out of your Bible study is you look for things that are out of place. So look for patterns here and then look for something that you're like, Oh, that's, that's different. You know, one of these things is not like the other. So look for patterns, and you'll see that here in this passage. And then look for things that are not matching the pattern. Whenever you find the thing that doesn't match the pattern, something's going on there. He's trying to get some point across. You may not know what it is. I don't know what it is in this passage. Now, I'm going to have to mine this a little bit longer, but I see it. Uh, and so something's there, something's going on that he wants us to see. I'm just not incredibly sure what it is yet. But anytime he breaks the pattern like that, you ought to note it because um, he's, he's trying to do something there. All right, verse 7. And over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put it on the plates, the dishes for incense, the bowls, and the flagons for the drink offering. The regular showbread also shall, also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of goat skin and shall put it in its poles. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover their lampstands for the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays. You, you get the idea. He goes on. But do, do you see the pattern already? If I were to read through the rest of this, you would see it. Because now you're paying attention, right? I've drawn your attention to it. But when you read through this in a couple of months, you may have forgotten this pattern. You maybe have forgotten to look for uh, the thing that <clears throat> doesn't, uh, that, that, the thing that's different. So... Keep reading through this, and you'll find a pattern. Let me, let me point it out for you, though. All these things are wrapped in blue. Why? I have no idea. 
I have no idea why he wraps these things in blue, why he wants them wrapped in blue, but he does. But what's so interesting is a couple of these things should be wrapped in red cloth and one should be wrapped in purple cloth. Why? I don't know. It's a mine for you to find out later. I'm going to continue mining it as well. But there's something going on there. And I'll show you this just to say, as you come across these tedious sections of Scripture, as you're, as you're doing your Bible reading for the year, one of the ways that you're going to get the most out of that Bible reading is not to skip over passages like this. Because that's what your brain's going to want to do. Right? Is anybody else like me? That's what your brain's going to want to do. You're going to want to just fly through this part because you're like, ah. Oh, this is horrible. This doesn't mean anything to me. I've never even seen the tabernacle. I don't have to worship in this thing. It doesn't even you're going to justify this, dismissing this, right? We do it. But if every word of scripture is theonostis, if every word is God-breathed, then this is important, right? Unless you think, oh, this is just Old Testament stuff. He's talking about New Testament stuff. Paul would say in the New Testament that the Old Testament is what? It's our schoolmaster, right? It's our teacher. And so he's trying to teach you something here in the Old Testament that you need to know in the New Testament. There's something here. What is it? You tell me. I'd love to talk about this later, but after you mine it. But when you find a pattern in Scripture, you're going to find, you're going to run across these patterns in these more tedious sections, and you're going to think, why is it all blue? Well, it's not all blue. He's drawing attention to two a red and a purple cloth. Interestingly enough, this is one of the sections that comes from this guy's book. Um, he says that Jesus' robe, um, part of it was red and part of it was purple. And he makes the, the conclusion there. I don't know if he's right, but it's something worth thinking about. But when you see these patterns, you need to focus on them. Don't skip over these tedious parts. There's gold here. You just gotta, it takes a little bit of time to mine it. So you're going to have to rewire your brain a little bit. You're going to have to notice some specifics, too. Let me, let me give you a, a quick tidbit that's not on the screen, too. When you study, you need pen and paper. I don't know how many of you just study, like you just open the Bible and you start reading. That's good. Um, I struggle to retain a lot with that. And I struggled in school to retain a lot like that. And I bet you did, too. Because if we don't have a pen and paper... Sometimes it's not going from here to here, and more importantly, from here to here, right? So <clears throat> one of the things that I found helpful is these scripture journals. I've talked to you about them in the past. I love these things. It's good. This is Genesis. It's got the entire text of Genesis on one side. It's got a blank page on the other side for my notes. Love these things. Um, you can also go to BibleGateway.com and print off an entire 8.5 by 11 section uh, of, of scripture, the whole page, and then you've got even more room for notes. <clears throat> That's what I do more often than not. And then when I come back with a really good gold, I write them in here. It's me. I'm weird. Um, so you need to get pen and paper as you study your Bibles. You're also going to notice specific things. Um, let, me, let me point out something for you here to give you an example. When God is specific, and you've heard me say this before too, when God is specific... You need to pay attention. He's trying to draw your attention to something. When he's being specific like this, you need to sit up and pay attention. Mind that. Think about that. Cross-reference that. 
figure out who that person is or where that place is or what that thing is and, and just explore every bit of it because he's drawing your attention to that thing for a reason. Let me give you an example. Um, if you're in 2 Samuel 23, just flip over there for a second. You need to be familiar with this passage because it's kind of fantastic. Uh, 2 Samuel 23, not that all scripture is not fantastic, but this one especially uh, will captivate your attention. Um, so these are stories about David's 30 mighty men. These guys do some incredible stuff, right? Uh, feats like you see in uh, mega box office movies. Um, so, for example, you're going to meet a guy here uh, right before uh, verse 30 named Benaniah. This guy, uh, let's see, he comes, he comes in verse 20. I just want you to see Benaniah's story because I think it's so interesting. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariels of Moab. What's an Ariel, you ask? I have no idea. Nobody does. Okay. Uh, he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a, snow, on a day when snow had fallen. Isn't that interesting? This dude makes a decision to jump into a pit that's filled with snow. It also has a lion in it, and he's going to fight the lion. Cool, right? Scripture is riveting. But here, here's the point that I'm trying to make in 2 Samuel 23. He's going to be specific in this passage, and you need to pay attention to the specifics. As you read through, as you read through your Bible this year, you're going to come across some stuff, and you're going to think, why does he tell me how many miles it is? Or, or what weight it is, or what day it is, or how many people were there, or what city this happened in, or who he was with. Why does he tell me these things? He's not just talking, guys. <laughs> He's not just talking. He never uses words frivolously. He's making a point. Um, so you need to pay attention to the specifics. Let's, let's read this little section, because you're going to come across this section right after you read about Benaniah, the guy that jumped into a snowy pit to fight a lion. You're going to come across a more tedious section of Scripture like this one, and you're going to be tempted. Your brain's going to want you to just to shuffle past it very quickly. You're going to have to resist that urge. Push back on your brain a little bit here so you can mind the goal that God's got laid out for you in this passage. So he talks again about Benaniah of Pirathon. Again, he's specific. Why is he specific there? I don't know. I never mind that word. You should. Hadai of the brooks of Gosh, where's that? I don't know. Go mine it. Abi Alban, the uh, Arabathite, uh, Amzaf of Barathum. This is why your mind's going to skip over these because you're like, I don't even know how to say these words. Eliashabub, the Shamamite, the sons of, I'm just making up words now. Jonathan, uh, Shamath, the Hermathite. Okay, get to the point. Here it is down there at the bottom. Um, Eliphite, the son of Abishai of Maka. Eliam, the son of Antiphel, the Gileanite. Again, he's being specific. Why is he specific? Who is this Antiphel, the Gileanite? Well, you know him. That's why he's being specific, because you can know him. And if you know your Old Testament really well, you already recognize who this guy is. He is one of the dads of David's mighty men. Right? His son's name is Eliam. So you've got, again, pen and paper is helpful here. Um, and so 
you can, I can't tell you how many times I've done family trees, especially when I'm studying the Herods in the New Testament. Their family trees like so many branches and they all interconnect. So you need pen and paper, but you need pen and paper for stuff like this too. So you've got Antipophel up here. He's the granddad. And you've got Eliam, the son, right? That's, that's who this guy is. But who is Antipophel? Well, here he is. He is David's most trusted counselor. At least there's a guy with this name who is David's most trusted counselor. So when Absalom comes and takes over the kingdom, Antithophel switches gears. He switches alliances. He was friends with David. Now he's going to be friends with Absalom, the usurper. Why? Why in the world does he make that decision? Well, it looks like he made that decision because of a family member. He's Bathsheba's grandfather. Now you know why he hates David? He's been loyal to David for years. Why all of a sudden does he turn on David? Because of Bathsheba. Because of what David did to Bathsheba. Makes the story a little bit richer, doesn't it? Now you know why he acted like he acted. And you wouldn't have known that had these specifics not been drawn to your attention. you got to pay attention to the specifics. you got to use a map, too. Um, pen and paper is important. Maps are essential. These things, you can't, you, just, you can't leave home without them. If you're going to study Scripture, you've got to have a map, especially when he's talking about places. So, flip over to Judges chapter 11. I don't have this written down on the screen for you. Um, not the text, anyhow. So you're going to have to flip over there. Judges chapter 11. If you make it to the book of Judges in your daily Bible reading, uh, you're going to have a delight because Judges is just chock full of crazy stories um, where God redeems people that ought not be redeemed. Um, it's, it's wild mercy um, and just his relationship with individuals um, that bring a nation back to him. Um, but, but the stories are, are fantastic. There's a guy, one of the judges, his name is Jephthah. Um, he's, he, um, how much of his story do I want to get into? He's a, he's a half-blood, so um, he's not, um, uh, his mother was a prostitute, and Gilead is his dad, and so he's going to, um, uh, she's going to, to give birth to Jephthah, and the legitimate sons and daughters don't want, don't want Jephthah around. And so when dad dies, they force him out of the country, but they fall into a problem when they have need of an incredible general. Jephthah happens to be a pretty incredible general, a good warrior. And so they bring him back, and uh, they're going to task him with fighting uh, with this, this particular nation. But what I'm interested in is what he says. Um, in Judges chapter 11, starting in verse 15, he's talking to the king, the, the oppressor, the one that wants to... To fight Israel. And, uh, and this is what he says, uh, starting in verse 15. Uh, and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. So now you need to break out a map. He started talking about places, right? Force yourself to break out a map. Google 
a map. You, you probably have maps in the back of your Bible. They're not going to be helpful for this. You're going to find uh, opportunities, multiples of those opportunities as you read through your Bibles this year to Google uh, maps, and you're going to find them. You're going to find tons of them. And a lot of these places, um, different maps are going to have them in different places because we don't know where all these places are. But you're going to be able to make a pretty good guess on a lot of these places. And so I, I put this map up here for you, and we're going to go to another one in just a second that will help you as we think through what he's trying to say. But basically, what happened, what Jephthah's going to say, and we'll walk through it in just a second. But what Jephthah's going to say is, when Israel, the problem the king has, this, this oppressive king, the problem he has is he wants some of his land back. The problem Jephthah says is, it ain't your land. <laughs> He's going to say um, that when Israel came into the promised land, that they took the land from, from these people. And Jephthah's going to say, nah, we fought the kings that were over this land, and we took the land from them. God gave it to us. It was never your land in the beginning. So you're fighting a, an odd battle here, bud. Um, but, okay, we'll come back. Um, so that's what he says in verse 15. And then verse 16, he says, They came up uh, from Egypt, so you need to get a map and find Egypt. You see Egypt on the map? I have a laser pointer here. I don't have a laser pointer. You're going to have to find Egypt. Oh, no. Okay, put that down. Okay, so find Egypt on the map. So they come out of Egypt. Then what do they do? Let's see, verse 16. Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea. So right here is the Red Sea. Remember where they come down into that little, little crook right there? Uh, and they go up, and then they come back down, and I think they cross. The Bible's not specific, but I think they cross somewhere right here in that crook and go across into Midian. Um, and they came to Kadesh. Kadesh, they think, is just north of Ezen Geber. You can see Ezen Geber up there above the Red Sea. So they're kind of just north of that. In verse 17, Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. So they got messengers and they send them over that red line there to the Edomite king. And he says, Nah, <laughs> two to three million people coming through my land is not happening today. And then they send word to uh, the uh, Moabites and they say the exact same thing. We don't want you in our land either. Uh, so what do they do? Well, eventually jo uh, Jephthah's going to tell you that they, they follow this red line and they go around. Because these, these peoples are only um, close to the water. Everything else is wilderness. It's, it's just barren wasteland. So Israel marches around their, their territory out in that wilderness following that red line. And they go all the way up there. Uh, next to Jericho, and they defeat the Amorites, and that's um, that's the land that this guy is concerned about. <coughs> He's mad uh, and wants the land from. If you look at the the yellow map, he wants the land from the Jabbok River all the way up to, uh, or yeah, all the way down to the Arnon River down here at the bottom. So from the Arnon River all the way up to the Jabbok River and all the way across to the Jordan. That, that the river running right in the middle of the maps, the Jordan River. 
So he wants all that territory back because it used to be our people's land. And Jephthah says, no, it wasn't your land in the first place. You need a map to figure all that stuff out. Um, trust me. I know this seems elementary, I know, but trust me, if you want good Bible study this year, these tips and tricks will help you. They will enliven uh, your Bible study. They'll make you see things that you've never seen before. I've um, been doing this for a long time, and that's one of the ways that I study Scripture. And it's helped me tremendously. Um, you got to have this kind of, these kinds of tools. If you buy a Bible dictionary, if you, buy, you don't really need a concordance anymore because you got Google, right? Uh, but Bible dictionaries are helpful uh, in that they help you identify some of the people and places and things uh, that you're going to come in contact with and think, I don't know anything about Ezengeber. What is, it? what is that? A good Bible dictionary will tell you what that place is. Um, sometimes you can trust Google, sometimes it's shady. Uh, so, but find you a good Bible dictionary, and I've got some suggestions if you want to talk to me about that uh, later on. I know this hasn't been incredibly uh, evangelistic. I hope it's been helpful for you, um, but I would love to talk resources and all these other things uh, with you privately. That would be that would make my day. Uh, so stay afterwards. Uh, enjoy movie night or not movie night. Enjoy game night with us, and let's talk resources if you want to do that. Um, I would love to do that. But um, the last thing I want to say, and we're going to close, don't um, rely on commentaries. They're helpful, but they're somebody else's opinion. You need to figure out what your opinion is here, uh, what your studied opinion is from this book, uh, and then you can go ask your questions to somebody that's got these credentials and degrees and all these kinds of things. But commentaries are not all they're cracked up to be, and those guys don't have all the answers, and often they'll lead you astray. So that being said. Tonight, if you're struggling, we want to aid you in any way we can. Of course, that's what this opportunity is for. Uh, we come to learn, but we also come to hold each other accountable and to be there for one another, uh, to hold each other up when we struggle. And so if you're struggling tonight, we would love to be able to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. Tonight, maybe you've not been baptized and you need to have your sins washed away. We would love to aid you in any way we can tonight. Won't you come as we stand and sing?
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder, the card night tonight, the game night, um, so everybody's welcome to stay, stick around for that. I do encourage you to do that. It should be a lot of fun. Also, um, Stepping Stones, January 3rd. Um, that's next Wednesday. And also, a Young at Heart, January the 16th. So please put those in your calendars. Um, also, next Sunday, Life Group 2, that's Gary Leap's Life Group. We'll be meeting up front after services Sunday morning. Um, for all the men serving for the month of January, the calendar's out in the foyer table. Uh, before you leave, uh, don't forget to pick that up. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep the England family in your prayers at the passing of Miss England. She passed away uh, last week. Also, remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Martin, and Jackie Hutchison in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Um, keep Judy Marvin Jordan in your prayers and Charlie and Alice Boso and Peg and Roger Pryor in your prayers. Also, Mary, continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers and David Houck. That's all the announcements I have. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. Uh, you may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer, and I hope everyone has a happy New Year. Our last song this evening, this year, is number 947, Jesus Let Us Come to Know You. I always like to do this on the last song because the thought that it has, so please focus on this. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, and thank you for allowing us to gather here tonight and sing your praise. Uh, we also thank you for everything that you've given us this year, the highs and the lows that have changed us and made us better this year. Uh, we pray tonight for the health of our members that Dave mentioned, and also for the health of those who aren't here tonight. Uh, anybody who can make it, uh, we pray for them to return to full health. Uh, we pray for all of those to drive home safe tonight. 
and in the new year, we pray for the betterment of our spiritual lives and that you will touch us and renew us and make us completely yours this year. Uh, we pray that we can learn more about you and how to study your word in the best ways, Lord. Uh, we also pray for anybody who has a petition tonight and that it can be fulfilled, Lord. We pray for all of our safety and health, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.